headlands. What is our problem? to Wheat Peace Word here on realagriculture.com for Wednesday, February the 5th on this episode of The Word. Wheat Peats whereabouts, yes, for the next week. Then, cool tidbits that I've learned over the last week. After that, an in-depth discussion on some fertility questions that have come in. I think it's really cool stuff. A quick note on some oddball products and let's do the trials. Finish up at the end, if there's time, with Rowwoods because I have Rowwoods questions from Idaho, from Saskatchewan, from Michigan, Man, there's just a ton of questions out there about Rowids. Let's go. First off, yes, where am I going to be? So, of course, for the rest of this week, I am in the Maritimes, both Prince Edward Island and Nova Scotia. I hope if you get a chance to come out, bring your questions, bring your wheat thoughts. We're talking big yield wheat. You guys should be able to grow it. Let's talk about how to get there. Then next week, Tuesday, I will be at the Eastern Ontario uh, Crop Conference talking both fertility with Jake Monroe and drainage with Jesse Tate from Tate Farm Drainage. That'll be a great a great session. Dufferin Soil and Crop on Wednesday. And then a quick flight out, and we'll try to excite some agronomists about growing wheat in Saskatchewan and Saskatoon on Thursday. Okay, so what are the cool tidbits? Well, number one, lots of Twitter traffic on, hey, Peter, not much ice on the Great Lakes. Yeah, who cares? At the end of the day, there is no relationship. Let me repeat that. There is no, zero, nada, no relationship at all between ice cover on the Great Lakes and whether or not we are getting an early spring. So yeah, there's not much ice cover on the Great Lakes. Does that mean we could get a lot more lake effect flurries? Sure, because they're not frozen, so the winds can pick up moisture out of the lake. So it does have an impact, but as far as relationship to an early spring, just get over it does not matter. Next, Al calling me from out in eastern Ontario. He farms right along Lake Ontario. Had a great discussion with him and and I said, so how are things, Al? He says, well, yeah, one foot higher lake levels on Lake Ontario right now than the peak in 2019 and the experts say that if we get a bad spring with lots of moisture in the whole Great Lakes Basin drainage area, it could go to two feet above. So two feet above last year's peak in the spring of 2020, oh my gosh. Al, we all hope that doesn't happen. Al said he lost 40 acres last year, couldn't farm it. It was underwater because the lake was so high. It's currently a foot higher than that. If it goes to two feet higher, he'll lose probably 100 acres. Plus, to get to his farm, he'll have to drive through a foot of water. It's just, wow, the lake levels are high. Next, here's one from Johnson. You know, I've been thinking about this. I meant to talk about it earlier, but oh gosh, we all talk about this profitability and precision farming and we get all excited and we look for ways to make it pay and yeah there are some ways to make it pay you know the automatic shutoffs on a corn planter so you don't double plant i think that's actually pretty much a no-brainer the electric clutches but here's one that we have not jumped on that that i've thought of and, and we've talked about but i just never put it on the word headlands what is our problem. I go to meetings. I ask, how many people are reducing population, reducing fertility on the headlands? Yeah, maybe one, two, at the most, maybe three percent. That's pretty good. Meanwhile, you go along the bush. 
always, always, always along the bush, it's a big red streak from the yield monitor because the wildlife are coming in, the shading effect, the trees are taking the moisture. Why in the world would we drop 34,000 corn seeds right along the bush for that first, I don't know, 18 rows in? You got a 16 row planter, it's one pass. You got a six row planter, it's three passes. You just 20,000 seeds per acre and reduce your nitrogen probably by 50 pounds per acre, maybe by 100 pounds per acre you're still going to farm it because if you don't farm it and you leave that 40 feet and, and you grass it, well, maybe the deer will stop at the grass. Uh, the turkeys, the raccoons, I'm pretty sure they're just going to wander across the grass and go over and say, oh gosh, look at this, some corn for me to eat. So we're probably going to farm it. Maybe permanent pasture or permanent hay is a better solution. But for now, for goodness sakes, for that first 40 feet or whatever that, that number is, we just get off the planter. If you don't have automatic population, it will pay you to get off the planter, plant that headland separately, and look at your yield maps where you tramp oftentimes on both headlands, even without a windbreak or a, a fence row or any bush whatsoever, you still get lower yields because of the compaction. I really think we have to do some work there, but if you're getting lower yields, man, I think lowering your input costs will help make that pro more profitable. It's one of those things you just have to start thinking about. Okay, just before we get into fertility, Ed asking, hey Peter, wow, these temperatures that go up and down and all over and freezing and thawing and, you know, seven degrees Celsius and it's January. What the heck? Ed, the wheat is fine. The winter wheat can take this. What we worry about is water. Uh, temperature, man, almost never does temperature take out winter wheat in Ontario or for that matter in Michigan or Ohio or, you know, New York State. When you get into Quebec, perhaps, maybe in the northern reaches. When you get into Western Canada, totally different scenario. But in our Great Lakes Basin, no, temperature almost for sure is not an issue. Too much water, totally different story. That four inch rain, still some areas that have water ponding. That Those areas where still the water's laying, they are probably going to be uh, barren come the spring. But most of the water got away pretty good. So we're in decent shape on the wheat crop in Johnson's opinion. Okay, let's move on. We're gonna talk about fertility. So first off, Last episode, I talked about the dry cart and Joe DeBrower, and, and it was just awesome stuff. Immediately, I get, you know, people pushing back saying, hey, wait a minute now, like liquid fertilizer on a planter, liquid pop-up. Are you telling me that's less efficient in terms of, of acres per fill and, and how many acres you can cover in a day? No, no, wait, stop. Okay, we were talking about dry fertilizer boxes on the corn planter versus an Alari tank, and it could be a Valmar tank or a John, I don't care whose air tank it is. It's just, we, now we have huge capacity and we can only fill, or we only have to fill rather one tank. So that's an improvement. If you compare that to a liquid system on a corn planter, well, of course you've, I don't know, you got what, a thousand gallon tank on the planter and you're putting on five gallons per acre. Man, that sounds like 200 acres to a fill. That, that's pretty good efficiency. So it's not that liquid is less efficient than dry, it's what is the comparison. And in Joe's case, it was liquid 28 versus, you know, dry cart and urea and dry two by two with boxes on the planter versus the big cart. And the big cart definitely made sense in that particular situation. The other question that came in was, uh, Peter, so dry versus liquid, 
Is liquid fertilizer more efficient, and what's the difference in cost? And many times I've said this, I will say it again. There is no difference in fertilizer efficiency, whether it is liquid fertilizer or it is dry fertilizer. At the end of the day, dry fertilizer has a higher affinity for water than the seed does. Guess what? Liquid fertilizer has a higher affinity for water than the seed does. It's five gallons or seven gallons per acre, and an inch of water is like 27,000 gallons. So it's just, it's simply not different. In terms of cost per pound of nutrient, yes, for sure, cost per pound of nutrient, uh, the liquid is more expensive. It's just part of the, the process because it, it takes more to manufacture it. It's a, a more expensive base product. It's always going to be a little bit more expensive. So the efficiency is the same. The cost of liquid is a little bit more. But gosh, if you compare a liquid pop-up to dry fertilizer boxes from a acres per hour standpoint, the liquid will win on the, the acres per hour. The dry will win in terms of the amount of phosphorus you can put in the two by two band. And, and you just can't put as much right with the seed, which leads us right into the next caller who says, okay, Peter, you talked about these seven and a half inch rows and the 12 inch rows and, and actually putting more phosphorus on the seven and a half inch rows. That doesn't make sense to me because if I have the same population, I got way more seeds per inch in the 12 inch rows and to get the same fertilizer per seed, I need more fertilizer in the 12 inch rows than I do in the seven and a halves. Yep. You are 100% right. And if you put that more fertilizer in the 12-inch row, you will have zero stand because the fertilizer gets so concentrated that we get salt burn and we kill all the seedlings. So we're not looking at fertilizer per seed. That's not the, the goal. The goal is let's put as much phosphorus as we can right with the seed and let's not get salt burn and, and injure the seed and not have a stand. Okay, going to move on just real quickly a caller saying hey Peter the monosome planter you talked about 1.8 mile an hour 1.6 whatever it was how fast did they drive with the drill that's a really great question I'll have to ask Dennis but my sense is they probably drove the drill at four mile an hour it's small research plots they're not doing 10 mile an hour for sure so maybe there's a speed difference I don't think it makes uh, I, I don't think the outcome would change one iota okay going to continue on this this whole fertility question and Mike saying okay Peter so sand soil, I have sand soil, and I'm told that even though I have a high soil test, the sand still needs phosphorus, that the, the soil test really doesn't indicate available phosphorus on a sand. Whoa, stop. It's 100% wrong, Mike. The soil test extractants that we use, they measure available phosphorus. I mean, we did the tests, and so essentially what they do is they measure available phosphorus. But you are right that even on a high soil test, a sand soil will often respond to phosphorus where a silt loam or a clay loam may not respond to phosphorus. And by the way, if we get to a super heavy clay, then all of a sudden, it responds to phosphorus, baby. And you go like, what? How come the light sand responds, the heavy clay responds, and the beautiful soil that I really like to farm, it doesn't respond nearly as much. 
So it's all about root growth. You mentioned, Mike, your, your sand could be low pH. If it's low pH, fix the pH. That's not an excuse for more phosphorus. But the dry surface, so I think you're, you hit the nail on the head. In a sand soil, we get great root growth, but oftentimes the surface soil, that, at least that top two, three, four inches, it dries out, and so the plant gets most of its moisture from deeper in the soil profile. As you go deeper in the soil profile, there's less phosphorus, and so that early phosphorus, giving that plant a source of early phosphorus close to the seed, really boosts the early uptake of phosphorus and helps the plant develop good deep roots so it can get the moisture, and there's simply less phosphorus as we go deep in the soil profile, so sands respond more to phosphorus. By the way, Mike, it's not a CEC thing because phosphorus is not a cation, and CEC stands for cation exchange capacity. Yeah, phosphorus just isn't related there whatsoever. Why on the heavy clays? Oh, think about it. On the heavy clays, we don't get root growth. I mean, gosh, the poor old plant's trying to push push the roots through that that tough old clay, and if it gets dry, oh gosh, it just it pushes and pushes and pushes and goes nowhere because because that stuff is like cement. So that's why on heavy clay we get a bigger response to phosphorus. I have seen a 35 bushel response to phosphorus on heavy Niagara clay that had a soil test phosphorus of 60. And you would just go, that ain't possible. But it is possible because the root growth was so restricted that that seed placed or two by two band that the plant could get to and take up just had huge positive impacts. So sands, clays, a lot more responsive to phosphorus than the beautiful soils in between. Enough on fertility. Okay, Mark saying, Peter, non-standard products. So is there a payback? So he named a whole bunch of different products that, that people have come in his lane, laneway, Proliant and Generate. I think, I've, I don't even remember them all, but regardless, he's saying, do they pay? And I think, Mark, the real question is, do they pay consistently? And so you just simply have to do the trials on your own farm. So here's the example, Quick Roots. It's a good product, it, it can help, but Shane and I did trials on it for three years. We looked at it on wheat, we looked at it on corn, we simply didn't get response. And I don't know exactly why, but we didn't get response. So we quit doing trials, and the very next year, two excellent wheat growers that I work with lots send me plot results where they got significant yield increases from quick roots on wheat. And I just go, man, what is the difference there? But in terms of is there payback, get them to give you some product, do your own trials, send the results to Johnson. So Johnson has more to talk about. I, it's just, it's consistency, 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 and we just don't have that in a lot of these products. Gosh, we have trouble getting consistent response to sulfur, and yet we know we need it, and again, can get big responses sometimes, but you don't get response all the time, and so you need a consistent enough response to pay for the product, even over the years when it doesn't give you any response whatsoever. Okay, enough on that. Move on. And drills. Yes, Marvin saying, hey, Peter, so I got an old international drill. I'm going to move up to a 750 drill. How much more yield am I going to get? 
Oh, gosh, Marvin. <laughs> so first off, your old international drill, does it have press wheels? Because if it has press wheels, then you probably get less yield benefit to a 750 than it is if it doesn't have press wheels. But by the way, the press wheels are out behind the double disc openers. So you know all this stuff I've been talking about from the precision plant and all those yield gains to the precision plant? Well, the beauty of the John Deere 750 or the new Case IH drills or any drill that senses the depth right beside the opener, they are going to give you better depth placement. That's just, it's like a corn planter. You got to sense the depth right where you're putting the seed in the ground. I simply don't care. Uh, you know, other manufacturers can say they, they have it figured out. No. Sense it beside where you're putting the seed in the ground. You'll get more uniform depth. You get more uniform depth. You get more yield. I think I think Dennis Pennington out of Michigan State, this stuff is proving that. And we actually have to make the next step. On the other hand, you know, if you buy an old used 750 drill that's all worn out and you don't fix it, uh, you might not gain any yield whatsoever. So I can't give a solid answer on that because, you know, it depends. And no, I'm not trying to be a politician. Okay, I'm at 16 minutes and 20 seconds. I simply do not have time to do justice to row with. And there's too much cool stuff to talk about there. We will leave it for the next update. So on that note, that's it. That's all. On behalf of the team here at realagriculture.com, this is Wheat Pete with the word for Wednesday, February the 5th. Leave me lots more questions because I love to have tons to talk about. And that's exactly what I will do next week. Just talk a whole lot. Talk to you then. Bye now.